0: Let's do this
1: welcome to making media
0: humans are in an eternal quest for convenience save me time make my life easier
1: oh my gosh that's such a good start to an interview all right welcome back to making media it is matt russell and i now have my co-host back to join me he left for the big launch He left at the exact right time to avoid any of the big work that comes out with a big launch. But he put in a lot of the early work. So I don't want to take anything away from how much you participated in this team performance.
0: Dom, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, I kept hearing you say that you were going to welcome me back with open arms. And that felt like a, felt like an appropriate welcome back. As you said, I did see this coming. I did, I did decide to get married at the exact moment that we were going to launch this thing. I had harrowing memories of launching previous podcasts. And I thought I'd leave the, the hard work to people who, who, um, who can do it better. Well, much like
1: a good kitchen, everybody knows how to cut the fucking carrots at Colossus. So we can pick up when <laughs> you leave. We've learned by trial and fire to do every type of task. And forget this focus nonsense with one task. Everybody has to know how to do everything when you work on small growing teams. So we are going to recap the launch of Art of Investing. This was a successful launch by any way that we would measure it. And we're going to compare it to some of the launches that we've done in the past. If you do not care about podcast launches, I wouldn't recommend that you listen to this episode. This is going to be very tactical. It's going to be for people that are interested in doing this for a brand or for themselves. And even the people that are interested in doing that might not care about this level of detail. So I'm giving you that up front. You have to be very nerdy, caring about very specific things around podcast launches to be interested in this. And the second thing I'll mention is we want to share as much as possible. Uh, originally, this was very much for transparency. But increasingly, this is so that people know the amount of work that goes into (laughs) these masterpieces that we create. I think I, I glossed over the power of just letting people know how much you're doing behind the scenes and how that can actually have an impact on how they digest material. So that is increasingly a reason. But what I'll also say is there are variables that are outside of our control or variables that we can't isolate when we're measuring how these things perform. So that's important to keep in mind. We're not saying that this is a foolproof plan. But with that out of the way, we're going to move on. Dom, let's just start with your overview of what Art of Investing is. What is this show? What makes it different than other shows? And just a little bit about the actual specific concept and how that played a role in terms of the success of the launch.
0: Yeah. The best podcast start with disclaimers. And that was one of the finest I've heard. So well, 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 well done to you for, for that. So the Art of Investing is actually a class. Um, at a university in America to which I, I really struggle pronouncing called Notre Dame or Notre Dame or whatever you want to call it. ND for short. Um, and it's run by Rick and Paul, um, who are both investors by trade. They used to work at the endowment at, at that, that fine institution for a decade or so and now invest out of their own um, capital vehicle called Sater Grove. And they've been running a class of 40 or so top students across the college in their final year, I believe, um, called Art of Investing. And effectively... They, through their years in the investing arena, have gotten to know most of the world's finest capital allocators uh, and and people related to that field. And they bring in this literally all star cast of investors and um, business operators, execs, um, and other people um, interested in business and finance uh, and investing. And they bring them in for the class and they get them talking for a couple of hours about their career. And really the nub of like the course is compounding and they're effectively teaching these, these students about the art of compounding in some ways, kind of the, the equation of compounding and how you can build effective habits into your career that end up compounding for decades and lead to these outsized outcomes that many of these, almost of the, the successful people they've got coming in have managed to achieve. And really like laying the simple building blocks of this stuff isn't necessarily like super hard. It's more about how you do these small things over a very long period of time. And so that's the premise of what they've been doing. I think they've been doing it for a number of years at this point. At the beginning of this year, Patrick um, teased them that maybe they should open it up to more than 40 students and the whole world could get involved.
1: That was a great overview. If you want to hear that in a different (laughs) form, you can just actually listen to the trailer on the Art of Investing feed. If you haven't subscribed to Art of Investing, I highly recommend that you do. I think whether you're a student or somebody who's a lifelong learner, there are going to be conversations here which are really, really impactful. And I think I felt it personally, even though this is targeted at students, you're a career student in many ways. And I think most of our audience is. So I agree with everything that you said there. The other thing I would add to that is we often get the question, how can I work with Colossus? Well, here's a good example of how this played out. You have Rick and Paul who are close with Patrick, that introduction gets made. What really throws it over the line in terms of this class We have worked with many students, many alumni that came through the Art of Investing class. So we recently hired Joanna. She was part of Art of Investing. We have Gabby, who works with Positive Sum, Art of Investing. Miles Wood with 50X, Art of Investing. We have had many people come through the Pioneer program, Art of Investing. Now, we don't just blindly say, oh, somebody has taken that course. We are going to work with them but it's a pretty damn good track record in terms of the students that they're getting in that classroom. It's not all finance students. In fact, it's, I think they said 20 different majors. So that to me was a major selling point more than anything else. Rick and Paul are great, but you know, a lot of people are great when you, when you talk to them, it's what they produce and the quality of students that they produce. That was really impressive to me. So completely agree with everything mentioned off the bat. And I think that was an additional selling point. Now, Just in terms of the genre itself, do you think there's anything that made it more uh, ripe to be a super successful launch?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, the fact that they've been doing it for a number of years, like you said, but also from our perspective, it it targets the field that we love and are passionate about and where our audience is, i.e. investing. But the core demographic is naturally younger. It's people at the early stage of their career. And you talk to any business. They ideally want their customers from cradle to grave. Like if you can capture those people in their early years and really lock them into your business in whatever way possible, then hopefully you have the benefit of their custom for decades to come. That is a particularly compelling part of this. Not only do you end up with epic guests because people late in their career love talking to people early in their career about what advice they might share... Um, so you get the guests, but then you also hopefully get the people um, listening, looking for that career advice. And we had one of our pioneers say it sort of brought him back to sixteen-year-old self, listening to invest like the best, which I think is the best compliment you can give something like this because that kind of is what what we're aiming with for here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our main acquisition target when we think about who would be ideal for us to bring in, it is Sesame Street. When we think about you know capturing that potential customer, that listener at the earliest stage. And then, being lifelong learners, they just transition from Sesame Street to Art of Investing <laughs> to invest like the best, and many of the others. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I come up. <laughs> I think your point on the listener having overlap with some of our other shows and mm-hmm. just having a natural um, tie-in to what else we're doing. So, I think we often reference this show has the least tie-in to everything else yeah. we do, um, but many of our other shows kind of operate around the world of professional investors and what they would be interested in or entrepreneurs and what they would be interested in. And there's a lot of ties together in terms of those two categories. Uh, and this fit
0: very, very nicely in there. It's funny because I think I used to reference our audience as investors, and business people. I think I'm more and more learning that our audience is investors. Obviously, there's some business enthusiasts that tune in, but the core epicenter of our audience are our investors and this kind of fits squarely in, in that field. And we learned that through the Making Media launch, um, which made a big splash, but didn't necessarily have the same impact that this did. Many reasons for that, one of which being um, this is very much in the middle of the Venn diagram. yes. Yes.
1: Let's go into the timeline for a launch. The actual work year started in very late May. We might as well call it early June. And we worked from then until you left for your wedding. And then we launched the actual show itself in early October. When you think about that framing, which is about four months, do you think that's needed, necessary for a successful launch? How much of a role do you think that plays in terms of a positive outcome?
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely necessary to have at least a few months thinking about it. I think that timeline very much misses the main truth that they've been doing this for years. So like in some ways, they've been practicing for this podcast for a good number of years. And you could argue decades, given what what profession they've been in and meeting these people. And like that for me is the most important thing. Like, If you're going to start a podcast, we've talked about this endless times on here. Like, do it for a reason that you, you will be able to draw from that source for, for years to come. Like, you want this to be your passion. And Rick and Paul very clearly are passionate about this course. They're very passionate about compounding and teaching young people that has come through because they've been doing this for a number of years. So, like, that easily takes the biggest question off the table of like, are you, can you still see yourself doing this in years to come? They have been doing it. So, yes, I can. Um, and then like that timeline, he says, since June, you don't like want to rush into this stuff. We learned that I think I would say with our web3 breakdowns podcast where we launched and then we had a great launch. Then a few weeks later, we were struggling to fill inventory in terms of bringing guests on the show. And then we had a period of like, you have a big splash and then you don't have the follow-up thing where you want to keep the momentum going. And momentum, as we'll talk about, is so important with these launches. So you want to be in a position where you feel like really ready for it, where you've ticked every box. And so I think giving yourself a few months and not being too stressed about when exactly you're going to launch, but like having something to work, work towards, but not necessarily pressurizing yourself is really important. Anything you would you would add there? No, I think that's right. I think the
1: concept itself, understanding what you're going to be asking, it can take it a few different forms. And here, a lot of that was de-risked because okay. they already had the classroom experience. We already knew what they were getting. If you compare that to a normal show, like an interview show, you got to figure out what's going to work, the style, the format. Uh, interview shows are very different. If you're talking about a certain subject, you might say, "Ah, oh, this is starting to work, this isn't. So you might scrap a bunch of things. In this case... We didn't have to scrap any episodes. Uh, it was very much just hit the ground running. But there was a lot of work that went into that time period throughout from June into October. So I'm just pulling up. We keep a uh, status tracker in a Google Sheet, formerly an Excel spreadsheet. But we've had to transition to Mac as we've given up our investing roots and moved to being full creatives. media people. Yeah. Yeah, creatives. Um So I have a CRM system. They want to make sure that they're capturing all of the alumni and then anybody else that will be interested in participating in the classroom experience, getting TA leads. They're basically taking alumni from the class, getting those people to basically be TAs for specific guests. They will help with the research that goes into preparing for that guest, getting the students prepared for the guest. All this is going on behind the scenes, but you could see a lot of that output and research work on the website for art of investing then gathering the alumni emails working on the artwork we built a custom website we have a newsletter system we have a procedure in terms of class prep how the research is done the Q&A gathering all the information then we actually have to try to test the audio equipment so in July there had to be people at South Bend working in a classroom many times you hear these things happen where there's live shows for people and the audio absolutely sucks the audio here is very good so working on that, testing different audio equipment, uh, obviously getting into some of the planning around the hyping of the show, and then you get into the real launch stuff. You know, getting the feed ready, getting the the artwork and episodes, whether you're going to do transcripts, anything else around that, the sponsorships, all of that good stuff that comes in the final stage. So a lot of things that happen behind the scenes in preparation for something like this, where you want the output to be as high quality as possible and, and the preparation is what allows that to happen.
0: Yeah, that was even more than I expected. I haven't been as closely involved in this launch as you have, but that was that was impressive. Your disclaimer up front was right, that you want to put people off. Um, <laughs> that put me off. Yeah, well, as the one who was doing the weekly Aoi uh, status <laughs> updates with
1: Greg from the Aoi team and Joanna lending a hand, um, I wanted to make sure you know it was known what
0: what what I was doing and that I was still very involved there. Uh, <laughs> there's an interesting but, point you made about yeah. the the mics and the audio setup because, like, obviously this is taking an existing thing and turning it into a podcast, but there are important differences, and we learned this through an early making media episode with Eric Newsom, who is an OG podcaster, and he talks about like. People don't want to listen to a live conversation as a podcast. They want it to feel like intimately connected with the hosts and the guests on the show. And obviously, when you're in a classroom, which this is being recorded in, you need it to feel authentic to the class setup and also to the people obviously in the classroom you want them to feel like nothing is different for them but you want the listener to the podcast to feel like they are in the room kind of uniquely by themselves with these people and i think you've done a really good job at making it feel like it's just a podcast uh, and there are moments when they they talk about the, the the students um but most of the time you just feel like you're there with kind of three or four people which is exactly what you want out of a podcast
1: yeah it's actually been Better, way better than I expected. And one of the main things is you do not want to ruin the student experience at all. You only want to enhance the student experience. And that could come at the detriment to listeners. Somehow, they, I will say I had zero, I think our team specifically had zero to do with this. They have really, really, really navigated that balance incredibly well, where for the listeners, it's, it's an excellent experience. And for the students, it seems to be the same case. Yeah. Agreed.
0: All right, let's get closer to the launch date.
1: Yes. So what did we do differently versus what we've done with some of our other podcasts? This is very, very specific when it comes to uploads, feeds, and whatnot.
0: For me, the the biggest thing here is really focusing in on that first episode. So, we've talked about in the past having more than one episode ready to go. We've learned that through previous launches. I think Web3, we started with one, but like having a few there, and you can talk about kind of why that matters so much to your Spotify and Apple's, et cetera. But for me, it was, and we rejigged this. And so I'd say, like, we give ourselves a little bit of credit here making sure that your first guest is both recognizable to people easily, but also that they don't hear from them very often. And Todd Combs kind of fits the bill perfectly. He's not someone that appears on podcasts very often at all. I think there's one podcast he's been on in the past. Um, but obviously he's he is part of the Do you know class. what podcast that is? Is this some grocery store or something? <laughs> Nebraska Furniture Market. There you go. Okay, yeah. Uh, isn't that Mrs. Mrs. B or something? She was the the old owner of that. Yeah. Correct. Uh, so yeah, he doesn't come on often, but obviously our audience would be really interested to hear from him. So let's get like the best person we could possibly start this with, um, and get people locked in. That for me was like the biggest differentiator here. Um, but you can talk talk more to loading the feed up and having traders, etc. Yes, if you want the
1: TLDR for this epi- this <laughs> episode today in terms of a successful launch, getting someone like Todd Combs, where very well known, very rare that you hear him speak in an interview format and on a podcast format. Uh, so a ton of interest <laughs> around him. Yes. When I said before, you know, there's certain variables that are hard to recreate. That would be one of them. Um, with that said, I think you are right in terms of having Todd out there with the first set of episodes. There were some tactical things that we did differently. And I think it's increasingly important with how the platforms are changing, mainly Spotify and how you're being served podcasts on Spotify, which is a very big percentage of listeners and increasingly a percentage of new listeners in terms of them taking market share. So we put out the trailer one week in advance of the first episode. Historically, we've done it two days, three days. The only time we've done it this far in advance was for business breakdowns, our other previously most successful launch that we've had. And driving people to that trailer to get them to subscribe to the feed. If you noticed, we were more aggressive in our marketing for this than we've been for anything that we've done, I think, historically. And yeah, it's subjective, but that's how I felt about it. And it was go to the trailer, subscribe. We had more people listen to this trailer than any other trailer that we've had. It was actually a very well done trailer by by Rick and Paul. So yeah. good on them uh, in terms of executing that and just getting people signed up for that. What that allows for is the more people that are signed up, subscribed, obviously, it's going to drop in their feed. But it also just gets that feed attention within these platforms. And the algorithms want to see momentum. So if you already have 5,000 downloads for a trailer, when that new episode hits, you are going to already have that hitting people's feeds, there's going to be listens. It's not a cold start for when you start marketing it. And that allows it just to basically compound on top of what you've already created with the trailer episode. So I think that was a big difference. And in between the trailer and the actual first episode dropping, we have Rick and Paul on Invest Like the Best, which drove more people to the trailer, more people to the feed. So just getting as many people into the feed as possible early is huge. And what you see a lot of podcasts do now is take old feeds, recycle them with new podcasts. And it is essentially doing the same thing. You have people where this is going to show up automatically for them in their feed, that makes a huge difference in terms of the listens, awareness, getting downloads. So I would say that was a, a pretty material change in my mind.
0: Yeah, and like just to kind of underline the point, if you're starting with a new feed, there is, the the one biggest upside is you're starting from a period like a zero, and the charts and the algorithms all measure the rate of change. So if you go from zero to four thousand, for example, listens in your feed, like that percentage increase is monumental and like that will naturally get you up the charts and then if you can like drive three points so one here's the trailer listen to our new show Two, get them on invest like the best go listen to the trailer subscribe and then three like your first episode you've got like three points there where you're just going to get pe- more people going to the thing which will naturally increase the momentum up the charts and kind of the ranking system and the algorithm which is like it becomes a self-sustaining thing early on if you can keep doing that because you'll get more people it will then like be shown in more places i think when i was looking it earlier it's had. 150,000 impressions or something just on Spotify alone. And like that's through keeping that momentum up early in the initial phase. So I think that was really executed well in this case. Yes. And
1: that was a difference than what we've done historically, where there was a shorter period of time between trailer and first episode, maybe a little bit less aggressive in terms of getting people into the feed early. I think the more you can populate a feed before the, ep- the first episode actually drops, the better. And Somewhat counterintuitive, I think there's some debate over you know why you would do something like that, but I think at least right now, in terms of how these platforms are operating, that seems to be the most successful way to do it.
0: yeah, I'd also say like y- y- you have to understand or learn, and we've definitely learned this at this point, like which parts of your business drive the most engagement, and so like for a time, thinking we need to do a lot of stuff on Twitter, like really make a big splash on social media to bring people to this new product that we're launching, like actually the two things that move the dial the most for us is our podcast, Invest Like The Best in particular, and our newsletter. Like what can we do in those areas to really maximize the impact here and like focus a little bit less on social media and like that has had its own changes over the last couple of years, but really hone in on the the, the avenues which you own and you know are really effective. Yes. The
1: correlation between successful episode and significant engagement on Twitter around that episode has started to break down this year. And I think you can look at Twitter and the changes that they've made as being a key reason for that. But it's something that we're definitely aware of. I think your point on the newsletter was really important. And people always talk about the value of newsletters. We see it particularly early on for shows. The newsletter definitely drives engagement to podcasts. So the more that you're sending people and making them aware of it, I think it's easy to think that you're getting to all of those people via social media. But the reality is, many people in the world do not put themselves through the hell of social media. (laughs) And they will put themselves through the sometimes hell of their email inbox. uh, And making them aware of what's out there is very, very important. Now, there's a third angle to this, which is everything that Rick and Paul were doing on their side in terms of making the students aware, getting their buy-in getting them to uh, you know, have conversations about what was going on. That's a big piece of it too. So partners that can also basically add fuel to your fire uh, in different directions is only going to help improve the, the reception.
0: Yeah, find the community that you know are going to be early evangelists for this thing and then pump them up.
1: Now, we had inventory prepared for when we launched. You want to talk a little bit about that mindset in terms of episodes and what you have ready before you get out there.
0: Yeah, you're going to want at least three plus. You basically want to get yourself through the first month. And like, let's say you want to start on launch day with at least two episodes in your feed. So people can um, either if they prefer one name over another, they can listen to whichever. Or if they really love the first episode, they can go to the second one. It's also going to help with just downloads generally. And that will help with the rankings like we just talked about. But you also want to have line of sight to like getting through your first month. Because... Like early on, you might find it easy to bring guests in, you'll get to a point where it'll feel a bit overwhelming. You're tied up in a bunch of other things. You've taken your foot off the gas of booking people, and then you look at your pipeline and you see that there's very, very few people there that you've got to record with. Not a great situation to be in. Try and take all that weight off your shoulders early on. Make sure you're launching in from a position of strength rather than kind the eight ball before you've even done anything. So that's what I try and look for. Like, can we get through the first month pretty easily? And I know the quality of the conversations are high. I'm not worried about oh, we need to like make sure that we've got three recordings coming up, but if they're not all perfect while well, we are in, well, we are in trouble like get out get out ahead of those potential issues um, b- before you launch something. Uh, feel great about it and then you can just kind of just keep ticking over. Yes, I think that's right. I think you'll make yourself
1: your life a lot easier. So that is a lot of what goes into the prep. So if I were just recapping what we've touched upon, the launch process itself, starting several months in advance, really mapping out what you want to do with this and a lot of the research and work that goes into it. In some cases, it's also going to be doing some sample interviews and working out the kinks in terms of you know what you're doing and the format that you're going to have. In other cases, it's just taking a concept maybe that you're doing elsewhere and, and repurposing it or shining it up so that it's good for podcast format. Next comes to the actual launch itself, having that, Time in advance to have the trailer out there driving people to the feed, getting them to subscribe is going to help when you have that big first episode with that big first guest who's rare, not typically heard from um, and building up the inventory in advance so that you can have a bigger impact down the line and kind of run with it once you have that that initial motion going. Anything you think I missed
0: there, that's a key component in terms of the no, launches. You, you hit all of those points. I, the other thing I'd say is like, get ready for the week three or four when it's like business as usual. No longer are people talking about your new podcast. Like you just got to start executing on it. And like, which is, is also why it's helpful to have that inventory, like, because there'll come a time when people aren't like, Oh, the new art of investing podcast, it will just be another podcast and it has to stand up against all the thousands of other podcasts. It's not one that people want to try. It's either they're listening to it or you need to attract them in some other way. Um, and so like, just be prepared for, for, for phase two, um, because this is not like a, a one and done thing. I think
1: that's right. Excellent. Any other closing thoughts in terms of launches? Again, we're here in October 2023. Something tells me six months from now it might look a little bit different. But I was highly encouraged that we had the success of this launch after recent launches felt like they were just getting tougher and tougher. Um, Any other closing thoughts that you have?
0: Yeah, I do do want people to have listened to this and think why are these guys just patting themselves on the back? Like, hopefully this has been helpful for people. And like, to your point just now, we have had... Probably three subpar launches, our last three. Yes. And so, like, it was time, it was, it was time that we nailed everything. And I wouldn't say like we nailed everything, but I think we did a, a decent job. And it's nice to see that if you line everything up, you can get positive results. Like, the one thing we all know about podcasting is very, very difficult to grow. Um, and so if you can start from a good position, having done some of these just kind of like table stakes things, then, um, you, you really ought to. You recently listened to our launch recap from this podcast were we glowing and patting ourselves on the back on that one we were not so yeah if you want some we want the other half of the coin go back to to early february i think was when we we released that we'd had a week from hell um i had caused 400 takes of our trailer um and various other things going on so yeah it's not always always rosy yeah No,
1: no no patting ourselves on the back uh this is um just merely comparing and contrasting versus what we've done historically and Hopefully, it's useful to you. If you have questions about the nuances of the details or anything else, always fire them away. We answer DMs uh, and emails frequently. And we hope that you have signed up for that podcast. If there's one thing that we make clear throughout this episode, that subscribing to these podcasts, again, increasingly important. I think it died down for a period of time there. But I think it's actually increasingly important to subscribe to podcasts that you like. All the other good stuff with rating and reviewing is also incredibly helpful. So please do that for any of the podcasts that you enjoy on the Colossus Network or elsewhere. We are big fans of the broader ecosystem. So support those people if you are consuming their content. All right, Dom, it is great to have you back in action here on the ground. And we will just have you head away for any
0: future launches too. I, yeah i will sign up for that any any day of the week although it is great to be back um i enjoyed my safari but it's also nice to be in a different type of safari
1: amen awesome all right that is all for now we hope you enjoyed this special episode and we will catch you in a few days on making here.